Amen. There are so many things in scripture that we teach without understanding of the background. There is a, a law in scripture in Luke chapter 6. It's the law of the farm. We call it the law of reciprocity or the law of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping is God's plan to increase my life. There's no other principle in scripture whereby God can increase me. Understand this. Wherever I am, God's principle for increasing me is sowing and reaping. If God says, I want to increase you, I'm going to bless you, that means he expects something from you to prime the pump. Everybody say prime the pump. Prime the pump. There's a story of a man. It's an old a, a, a story I heard years ago of a man. He was in the desert. He was walking through the desert. He got to a place and he he he, he saw a, a little house in the distance and he made his way up to this house. And when he got to the house, uh, he he found this bottle of water. And the bottle of water the bottle of water had a note that says you could drink this or you could prime the pump. And the man looked at the bottle of water. He was thirsty. And he looked at the pump, and it had instructions on how to prime the pump. Now, here's the thing. How many of you ever had to prime a pump? Anybody from the country? Anybody ever had to prime a pump? How many of you don't know how to prime a pump? Oh, Lord, that's a whole room in trouble. Where are the people that can prime a pump? I got to hang out with you. If anything go wrong in the United States, I got to hang with you. So when I, when I was a kid, my father, listen, we, we had a cistern. Have you ever heard of a cistern before? So, yeah, you, if, you, if you're from the city, all you know is running water. But we had cisterns. And it had to rain, and the water was, cat, was caught, and then it went into the cistern. But to get the water out of the cistern, you had to prime the pump. And so, so dad, was, dad taught us. He got all the boys together. He said, listen, he said, this is how you prime the pump. And he was short. So you pour water into the pump, and then you have to pull this thing, almost like a lawnmower back in the day, and you had to prime the pump. Later on, they had a little engine on it, so you pour the water in, you hit the engine, and if, the, if it caught... If enough water was in the little suction thing, it will create a suction that would draw water out the cistern. Everybody said prime the pump. So, so the, the man, he, would, he had been traveling, he was parched, he was tired, and he was like, I don't have time to do this. And he's thinking to himself, I should just drink this water. But when he looked around, there was nothing else for, for miles. So he decided, I'm going to just prime the pump. So he poured the first water in, Try to start the pump and nothing happened. And he did it again. And after the third time, he said, you know what? I'm about to drink this water. But something on the inside of him said, give it another shot. So he poured water in that little receptacle again. And when he pulled the little water, then the pump started. All of a sudden, water started gushing from everywhere. The understanding is, if you know how to prime the pump, you always have water. The problem is you look at the water in your, that you have or the money you have in your pocket, you say, well, this is all it's going to be. When God wants increase from you, he always asks you to sow a seed. It's called the law of the farm. Everyone say the law of the farm. And so today I want to give you so much information. I'm going to give you, I'm going to overwhelm you with information as it relates to what we're doing. Because I want you to be well informed about what we're doing. The principle that we, are, we have embarked upon, the principle of first fruit, is not new to me. When I was first taught this principle, I sat there with my eyes looking at the, the leader that was teaching. I was like, what, what's your game? I was passing with people in a working class city. We were all broke, that we had that in common. They loved me because I was broke just like them. But God transformed our financial state together. Not every, now watch this. Everyone didn't get rich, but everyone became well established in what they were doing. There were no millionaires in our group, but we built buildings and we took cities and we did what God called us to do because we were, we were obedient in our giving. If money is your God, 
that means right now you're struggling to impress others that don't even care about you. Money is an excellent servant, a terrible God, will disappoint you every time, make promises it can't fulfill. In the scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, I want to begin here today. I want to talk to you about giving with intentionality. Then we're going to go down to, I'm going to give you the seven blessings that come with first fruit. I want to go through them, right? But I want to talk to you about giving with intentionality. Everyone say with intention. The, the English word intention or intend comes from a Latin word intendare. Intendare, it's, it means, it's, it's a compound word. It means it's, it's, it has a prefix and a root word. The prefix is in, and this prefix means towards. It means what? Come on, you're going to have to talk back class. It means what? Towards. So it's intend. The, the root word tend comes from the Latin word tendare. It literally means to stretch. So the word intend means to stretch towards, right? Here's a literal definition. It means that the word intend, when I do something with intention, I'm doing it with my attention directed towards the future outcome. When I do something, I'm doing with intention, I'm doing it with my attention focused on the future outcome. The Bible says that when God judges us, he judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, God doesn't just judge what you, were, what, what you did. He judged what you planned to do and what you wanted the outcome to be. So if you do something good with the intent of making someone jealous... Now God doesn't just judge what you do. He judged what your intention was. Right? He said, I don't like what she's wearing. Man, she was just trying to get dressed this morning. That's all she had, and she put it on. She didn't care about you looking at her. She was just trying to cover her body. What she wears may be offensive to you, but it's not offensive to God because her intent was not to seduce, right? Then you have the other kind whose intent is to seduce. They're going to get all of this business right here, and she dresses like, and she, you get it? It's, everybody, everybody say intention. It's all about intention. So the word intent Again, means to direct your attention to a future outcome, thus to stretch yourself in the present to affect the future. Intention, to stretch yourself in the present so I could affect the future. What I'm doing now with my, with my money, uh, uh, I have to say, uh, I, my wife and I came up with a number. We decided, okay, um, we're going to do this, this gift. And it just so happens that we were waiting for some money to come in, right? <laughs> you think God be playing with you. You said, my, my money ain't came back yet. It, God is waiting on the right time. Yeah. And so we said, well, we, we can't do but so much because we don't have but so much. Then it came in. Then all of a sudden money started coming from there. And then, from there, and then we said, aha. So what do you do when you start preaching first fruits and then God starts supplying out of nowhere? I told you on last week. $3,000 showed up in my PayPal account. It, I didn't see it before. A pastor from Nigeria, Pastor Banky Wellington, bless you, Pastor Banky, uh, sent his $2,000 seed and said there'll be, there'll be more, right? Every one of you who sent first fruit to me, there was about two or three of you that sent me $100, I'm going to sow this into, I put that as a part of the first fruit, it's going into the church. None of it, I'm not taking any of it. You know, I get, I get, I get a salary, I get paid, right? We're good. We have to manage our money just like you do. Yeah, so, so we have to give by intention, and when you give by intention, you're giving by faith. On the screen behind me, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, I want to show you a couple of things. As a matter of fact, I probably need to, can you all see when I'm standing here? Okay, you can see behind me, okay. It says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a, okay, I have you, matter of fact, everybody read it together, ready? Read, remember this, 
A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously Stop right there. So what I want to show you really quickly, and the, the first thing, these are, these are principles I want you to grab, is that in the moment when, you, when you, you, you're, you have a seed to sow, you have an investment to make, stop thinking about, watch this, the mentality is, if I give this, I won't have but so much left. The, the, the intention of the giver should be, what do I want to re- get in return? Because either way it goes, you're going to have to wait. And even the way it goes, if you hold on to the money, you're going to use it somewhere. Right? And so if you have money to sow, if you have uh, uh, the possibility of sowing more or less, and you can sow more. It's not that, I'm not talking about those of you who are going to stretch and strain. Because the idea is not to give what you don't have. You're going to see it in a minute. The idea is if you have it to give, right? And you say, well, I just, want to, I don't, I just can't give my money to the church. A couple things is going on. Number one, if you're thinking that you can sow money in a holy environment, and it's, the offering is being called for and saying, we're going to give this to the Lord as an offering to the Lord, a sacrifice to the Lord, if for, so we can get a, a Rehoboth address, so we can get a dress for the church. If you think for a moment that you can give it to us and we can get in the back room and do some kind of weird deal, if you think that's going to affect you negatively, you don't understand God. Yeah. You can't gift to God and people steal it. Yeah. You, you don't understand how this works. Now, here's what happens. If you give the money to us and we get in the back room and decide to steal it, God will bless you for your giving and judge us for our stealing. Someone said to me one time, they said, I got to go back to that church and get all my money I gave them. Wait, 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 wait. I said, what money did you get? What money? You gave them your money? And they said, yes. I said, what? They said, I gave them tithe and offering. I said, that was not your money. The tithe belonged to the Lord. And once you committed the offering to God, that was his too. Well, they stole the money. That's, they stole from God, not from you. Malachi chapter 3 was not written to people. It was written to priests. I'm going to let that linger on you. When the Bible asks, will a man rob God, you understand the situation. The people brought the offering to the priests. Under Old Testament law, watch this now, God did not register the tithe as given to him until the priests and Levites tithe. So all the people from around the nation could bring all the money to, the, to the, uh, the, the house of God. And if the priests and Levites don't tithe, then God said, nobody tithe. So the devourer was left loose on the people. The people brought their tithe, but the, the priest stole it. Read, go back and read Malachi. Don't read from chapter 3. Read from chapter 1. This is an indictment against leadership trying to take money that was, or take stuff that was given to God. And God says, watch this now. God says, you are cursed. God cursed the leaders. It wasn't the people. You can't gift to God and, and folks steal it. You crazy. You don't even understand your God. Yahweh does not play like that. Once your gift leaves your hand, it never leaves your life. Increase is always scheduled for the giver. I'm, I'm on my way ahead of myself. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get only a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a what? If you plant over and above, you get over and above. Read verse 7 together with me. Ready? Read. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives. Now, there's a lot in there. Let's break it down. Verse 7. You must decide in your heart how much, I want to add this, of what you have. 
You must decide how much of what you have you want to give. Here's the reality. You can't give what you don't have. You're struggling and stressing. I just don't have anything to give. Watch this. You, do you know 10% as it relates to the tithe? I'm going to use a tithe, not first fruit today. I'm just using the tithe as an example. 10% of zero is what? So if God says the tithe is mine, it means he's saying a tenth of what I give to you belongs to me. If he doesn't give you anything, you can't. And watch this now. You're struggling because you're past money making minimum wage. If you can't steward minimum wage, minimum wage is an entry level test that God gives to you. I call it the bigness test. God will give you. The Bible says however you handle a few is how you handle many. However you handle few is how you handle many. However you handle few is how you handle you despising the few and all the few is a test to see if you qualify for the many. Never despise. When God gives you few, you know what it says? I'm in. If God is giving you few, if God's giving you a little, if you're getting a little return, that means you're in with God. And what you do is you show God you can steward the few. Why would he trust you with the many when you complain about the few? Can I get personal? You believe in God for a house. You have an apartment. But you don't clean your apartment. What makes you think you don't clean the house? If your car looks like a science experiment. Tell me, I believe in God for a Bentley. A Bentley? Your bug, your Volkswagen look like a, Come on here. Watch this. Listen, this offends you. But what truth does, truth provokes you to understand how the system works. Everything I've said has been backed up with scripture. Look at this now. It says this. You must decide. You must decide in your heart. Where? In heart. Decide in your heart how much, of, I'm going to add, of what you have that you're going to give. And here's what it says. And don't give reluctantly. What does that mean? Unwillingly. Or in response to outside force or pressure. In other words, don't let this moment be bigger than you. No, listen, my giving has nothing to do with any of you. For the, some people don't have a lot, the pressure is to try to give them. I don't, I, I, I can't, I don't have that, but everybody around me said they're going to give it. That's the pressure. But for those of us who, have, who can give a lot, just know this, a couple things. I didn't start there. So my pressure is, I don't want to give too much. No, no, no. I don't care what they think. I am coming to God with a lavish, extravagant gift. Because, let me tell you why. Because I've walked with God for 40 years, and he's never failed me. I've walked with God. Listen, when people threw me away, God came and found me. I, what, what I'm here to tell you is, if you have any kind of worship in your heart, the, your, your wallet is going to be subject to your worship in the name of Jesus. Look at this. It's true. Here's what it says. For God loves a cheerful giver, a personal gift cheerfully. Here's what the word, I had to break the word agape or agapos down for you in the, in the Greek, the word agape, this kind of love. There are different types of love in scripture. There's the, the love that's phileo. It's the love of friendship. I love you because you like me. There's the word ostoga or stogos. I love you because you're family. There's the word eros. I love you because you're lovely. Agapos or agape, I love you because you're worthy. I love you because you're valuable. This word, a better translation for this is that God love, he values, and he intimately connects himself to people 
not just of cheerful giving, not that I'm giving with hilarity like we've been preaching, no. is that this person has the mentality, I'm giving to God and I'm glad about it. I'm about to affect the kingdom of God. Can I, can I, can I wax uh, uh, doctrinal for a minute? Here's what we're missing when it comes to what's happening in the earth today. Prophecies have been going forth that this year is going to be an impactful year. Have you seen the prophecies? Uh, almost every prophet that has an ear to the, the heart of God is talking about some cataclysmic, some, some kind of situation that's going to happen this year that will almost like 2020. They're predicting a major something is going to happen, right? But the kingdom of God is steadily advancing, steadily advancing. That means there are people who need to be saved, people who need to be impacted. There, there are some of your family members are still not saved, but people are dying every day, right? But when we come to church, we just want to have church. No. The purpose of what, when God gives us assignments like this, and I want to add this to your understanding, is that God didn't give us a mission. God gave us to a mission. God doesn't birth a church and give it a mission. God has a mission in a city, so he births a church for the mission. You got it? So the purpose of this property, this building, is that God can have a house of prayer, a centralized location, where he, watch this, a, like, a, like a, a, a manufacturing plant, so to speak, where he can work from. God needs a headquarters in a certain area, right? There are a lot of churches everywhere. You say there's too many churches. There's not enough. Because everything, this work, there's a lot of money in circulation. It's not all real. That went straight over your head, but you got it? And so what God is doing, God has given us an assignment. I take this so seriously. Now, I want to tell you something. I have a house. I do. I have a house here and I have a house in Alabama. I got, I got property. So, this, so I don't need this for my, for my uh, portfolio. This is not for me. This is God building something so his church could have a place to strategize and to pray and to plant and to worship and to train children for the next generation and where the youth can meet and where people can invite people, where deliverance can happen, where ministry can happen, where life can be transformed by the power of the spirit. You said, Pastor, God, has, God wants to do all this. Yes. So why did he just give us the building? Because he needs to know that he has a people committed to his mission coming to pass. Listen to this. It says God values and he connects himself to a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously, I love this part, and God will generously provide all you need. The King James says God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Are y'all here? Okay, this, I'm going to give you a lot of information. Don't let it freak you out. Okay. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. It says, then you will, watch this. Look at the promise in the last part of the verse. It says, then you will always have, then you always have, and wait. So, so let's argue. Let's contend with the Lord. How many of you ever sown or given anything, you still don't have everything you need and plenty left over? Be honest, lift your hands. Can I tell you why? Because you don't understand the promises of God. You don't understand how they work. So what you do is that you sow, you give something, and then you expect something from God, and when it doesn't happen, you soak in a corner. Or your heart will sour towards God. Or you regret your giving. Instead of saying, the Lord said. The Lord said that I will always have everything I, I, what's the word? 
Now the words need and want constitute two different entities. Sometimes you don't need it. Well, I just just need the money first. Really? I have been in deals where I ask people, is money necessary? And you should see, when you ask a person in a deal, they say, okay, well, when we get everything started, we just need this deposit. I'll go, is money necessary to start the deal? And they'll look up like, and I would tilt their pinball machine. Well, that's an old phrase. Um, I would freeze their computer. <laughs> the different generational gaps in this place is just, get it? So, so what happens, I'll say, and I always ask them, is money necessary? And they go, well, well, not really, but what do you have in mind? I said, well, I was thinking we could give you a portion here and then we come back and do the deal. And the guy, I don't see any problem with that. I've walked away from purchasing cars. Tell, me, tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll send a down payment back to you. Anybody ever done that? I've done it. I, I, I've, I've, okay, I've signed a contract. I'll send my, my accountant back with the money. Um, I have to go out of town, but have the car delivered today. I ain't never done that. You know why? <laughs> because, <laughs> let me show you. See this right here? Now, don't go, now, wait, hold up. I don't want to empower you to go down there and we got to come... <laughs> They don't put you in jewelry. You, they don't put you in, in jewelry and led you to somebody to the car. Don't, listen, <laughs> Lord Jesus, we got to go bail the saints out of jail. Listen, no, listen. We didn't just. I didn't just get there, right? It was from sitting at the feet of a leader who loved God and was training us how to do this. And I was sitting there thinking, there's no way this is possible. It can't be possible. Nine straight years, I flew to Houston, Texas, and sat and listened to this teaching and said, this is it. And every year, I'll come back and practice what I was taught, and I'll see God just do this with what we were building. Now I'm doing the same thing for you. I'm stretching you. Your business has been sitting on the same scale for, for years, has not grown any. And you're thinking now the best thing to do is to hold on to as much money as I can. And God is saying, I want you now to prime the pump. I've given you, what I've given you is seed, not food. That's why it doesn't look like enough. Then you always have everything you need. The problem is, watch this, you, God said, I'm going to give you all you need. He said, but it's all I have. And God says, that's not your stuff, that's your seed. The thing about seed is, if it's going to become anything else, it got to die. Unless a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it will bring forth much fruit. But the problem is you hold on to it. You've been treating seed for all these years like it's food. Here's a, real, here's a rule. The Bible says God gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. God is only obligated to give bread to you. What does it mean? God is obligated to feed you. But if you're a sower, he's ob- obligated to feed you and give you seed. Now it's up to you to discern what's feed and what's seed. Is this too much? Okay. So now, I want to talk 
just quickly, I, I gave you some mindsets, and if you can, I don't know if you have them up there for me, Jadiran. I gave you some mindsets on last week, and this is a part of a, a four-week teaching. I'm going to condense in about five minutes. I'm going to give you a lot of information. Start putting the seven uh, negative mindsets on the street. I want to show the saints if we have access to them. Thank you, Pastor Jadiran. He's like, you're doing everything. For, like, he's the assistant pastor from heaven. I'm like... <laughs> be giving you opportunity to honor people you just be ignoring it <laughs> so, you this is so honesty watch this so there's seven mindsets and and i gave them to you on last week and the reason i did this is so that you could understand and kind of judge the way you're thinking we spend so much time assessing other people studying other people seeing what they're doing wrong what they do right and we use our judicial powers the improper way your judicial powers are first for yourself we all have judicial powers, the ability to discern and, and to decide. And what we do is we look at other people and we say, oh, yeah, I, I, I know who she is, but you don't know who you are. You're supposed to use that on you so you can know you more than anything. When you walk in the room, you may not know a person in the room, but you know yourself, right? So the first mindset, the second, seven negative mindsets that we must battle and overcome to obey God in our giving. You will never give if you don't over, you will never give properly. Or strategically, if you don't overcome these mindsets. Number one, shout it out loud. What is it? Come on, give me a shout. What is it? A prejudiced mind. It's a mind that prejudges the outcome without proper knowledge or examination. What a prejudiced mind does is that it looks at the situation and says, there's no way this could work. It's sitting in a room full of teaching where faith is supposed to be arising. For faith comes by hearing. But the prejudiced mind sits back and goes, you know what? That, don't, that won't work. This is a scam. And the, the prejudiced mind prejudges a situation before it hears the end of the matter. The result is, as time passes along and we go, we go to the future, then some people are blessed and the person with the prejudiced mind is still where they were. Now they're jealous. Now they're envious. Why? Because when, when the time came, instead of hearing the situation and judging it properly, they prejudged the situation and they said, it won't work. A prejudiced mind says what? It won't work. What's the next one? The second mindset is a fearful mind. A mind that's not, that's not influenced by faith, but by failing circumstances. A, a, a fearful mind will look around the room, will look around its life and give itself a reason to, to disobey God. Where there's a will, there's a way. Where there's a won't, there's an excuse. If you want to do something, when a person wants to do something, they, they're going to find a way to get it done. When they don't want to do it, they're going to find every excuse that's available. The enemy understands, right? Watch this now. He understands how your mind works. He understands that all he has to do is give you a reason. And you will take that reason. So whenever, whenever God calls upon you to sow seed, the first thing the enemy does is he attacks your present situation and circumstance. And you say you can't give. So we had, we had attack after attack after attack come, come on our house. But you know what? I made up my mind. I made up my mind. I don't care what comes up. And we, no, I, mean, I could tell you some stuff that happened. That uh, needed money. I got, I got a bill. Well, I'm, gonna <laughs> I'm like, okay, that, that bill won't wait. We're going to get first fruits. He would threaten you. And here's what happened to me one year. Right before first fruits, I got this big bill in the mail. I'm like, where did this come from? It happens, it's, it happens so many times now I know it's coming. And so I looked at this bill, and I decided, well, I can't give all this money. I took part of my first fruit that year, and I put it towards the bill, right? I said, I'm just going to pay this bill. After first fruit Sunday passed, I go down to the place to pay it, and they said that was a mistake. 
sorry, Mr. Ramsey, that was a mistake. Um, um, uh, we're sorry. No, this is the actual bill. And I thought to myself, hmm. Note to self, the enemy will, will fraudulently enlist you in some problem to make sure you don't give to God. Because he understands, watch this now, he understands that increase is the product of the law of the farm. I sow, I'm going to reap. If I sow in tears, I will reap in joy. If I let go of something that's important to me, it's going to bring a harvest that's important to me. Watch this, a fearful mind is a mind that says, I can't afford to. And if you keep saying, I can't afford to, you never will. Pastor, I just can't afford it. Watch this. You need right now to enroll in at least a, a, a college course or certification. But you know what you're telling yourself? I can't afford to. And not just the money. I just don't have the time. With all these things I got going on, I can't do anything else. But you need a certification. Why? Because you're stuck in a dead-end job. Watch this. The pain of the job, the pain of the job stresses you to the point where you are just, you just feel, it depresses you. You really need to en enroll yourself in some type of certification. Get, do something else. Point your sight somewhere else. But you keep saying, I can't afford to. It's a fearful mind. A fearful mind will guarantee you will stay right where you are and never move. It will literally turn a toilet it would turn a bathroom into a comfort zone. The third mind is a doubtful mind, a divided, undecided mind that accepts two exclusive opinions as fact. Two exclusive opinions. What does, that mean? What does it mean? Exclusive means that if one is true, the other can't be true. Exclusive means what if then so if God is not a man that he should lie, right? Watch this. If God, is, if God doesn't lie and God tells me to do this, right, and it will give, get, I'll be blessed, then it can't be that God doesn't lie, but God doesn't keep his word either. One of those things, watch this now, one of them is true. A doubtful mind will hold on to both of those uh, opinions and, and function through life as a hung jury, can never decide a case. Your Honor, the jury was unable to come to a conclusive decision on the matter. Mistrial. Now we got to go through the trial again. Why? Because of a doubtful mind. Whenever I find myself in a situation where I'm divided in my thinking, undecided in my purpose, then what ends up happening to me is I, I sit in a situation, I tell myself the lie, it won't make a difference. Is this a part of the service where you all go really, really quiet? It makes me super uncomfortable when you do this. <laughs> the next mind is a carnal mind. A carnal mind is governed by a desire for pleasure, profit, or position. Pleasure, profit, or position. A carnal mind will put pleasure on the front end, not understanding that it would, everything with God, watch this now, pain comes first to get to pleasure. With the carnal, which everything of the flesh, the flesh, the fleshly principle is pleasure on the front end, pain on the back end. Short term, watch this now, long, short term pleasure on the front end for long term pain. With God, it's short term pain for long term pleasure. Somebody missed that. In God's principle, God's principle is short term 
pain on the front end, long-term pleasure on the back end. With it, in, the, in the things that Satan brings to your carnal mind, it is, it is short-term pleasure on the front end for long-term pain. He wants you to profit a little up front so you can sell, he will offer you to sell yourself to him. He, you will mortgage your future to the enemy. Mortgage your future. Give away your potential to the enemy to be satisfied now. It gets worse. You will even, you watch this, you, as long as you can get the position and, and carry the title, you will give yourself the right to step unprepared into a position, a platform you weren't ready for just because you didn't want the other person to get it. Wrecking the whole house. Disturbing a move of God. The carnal mind says, watch this now, um, I will lose if I give. I will lose if I let them get it. If I, I will lose if I don't move now. And you're thinking, watch this now, if you don't move on every single opportunity that's given to you, not even discriminated about where it came from, you think if you don't do something now, well, you know what, I, I, I just, I can't, I can't give, give God what he wants because I don't want to miss out. It's the fear of missing out. The next mindset, a wicked mind, a mind that has ulterior motives. It uses good intentions as a means of access so that it can accomplish a hidden agenda. It says, I will give, but only in exchange for recognition. I had a person come to me one time. This is a true story. It was, he was the only millionaire in our church. Um, he came to me and he said, we were about to do a, a, a giving campaign. And we, um, it was coming up on the day, and he came to me, he said, I need to talk to you. And uh, uh, he said, well, you, you just called him out. You don't know his name. And so he called me, he said, I want to sow a sizable seed. Here's what he said. But you have to give me a position on the board. So I asked him this. Listen to this. Is this an offering or a bribe? Because the only difference between an offering and a bribe, the only difference between a gift and a bribe is what the giver wants in exchange for it. I want to say that again. The only difference between a gift and a bribe is what the giver wants in exchange for it. And so the wicked mind is given with ulterior motives, wants, wants recognition, wants to be seen. This was the situation of Ananias and Sapphira. The next mind. Next mindset. A rebellious, stubborn mind. And this is, this is self-explanatory. A mind that is bent on its own way. I don't care what God says. I don't care what the word says. I can't afford I'm not going to do it. I refuse to. And with that short statement, the brevity of that statement allows the Lord to, st to stand back and go, life is going to become hard for you. The final mindset, is there, I think there's one more, is the reprobate mind, right? A reprobate mind. Now, in church, what happens to many of us is when we hear the word reprobation, what we think to ourselves that reprobate means, what is, what is, what is the definition of reprobate for many of us? When you hear, oh, God has turned them over to a reprobate mind, we go, ooh. <laughs> we see a person really demonic and we go, oh, that's a he reprobate. Most reprobate people are happy. Because when you understand what reprobation is, a reprobate mind is a mind that has been released of all conviction of truth to pursue its decision to reject truth. So, when you under, so understand this. When you see a reprobate person, it's the person who's cursing God and smiling and they're rich. 
What God has done in his love, reprobation is an act of God's mercy. God says, since you will not respond to me, I will not trouble you with truth. I will let you live comfortably in deception. I will give you over to the thing you want. You do it. Enjoy this life because it's all you're going to have. Reprobation is God taking his hand off of you. Oh, watch this. You, a reprobate person can walk down the road. It could be in a, a, a room full of Christians and not cross paths with one of them. God literally steer, allows your path to steer clear of any conviction. A reprobate person says, not only do I refuse to, I never will. Now, here's what I just ex- explained to you. Because I'm reprobate concerning my money does not mean I'm reprobate concerning salvation. You got it? So you can, be, you can love the Lord, you can be a prayer warrior or whatever. When it comes to forgiveness, you're reprobate. I never will. Right? You could, you, could ha- you could be a loving, p- I'm about to mess them up. You could be a loving person to everybody, but when it comes to marriage, I never will. Yeah, marriage ain't good. And you, you, you believe that. And then, okay, let me go. And I'm moving on. So these are seven mindsets that I have to overcome. To, I got to overcome these mindsets if I'm going to be involved in what God is doing concerning giving. Now, I want to get, I got to move quickly. I was supposed to give you five positive mindsets. Don't have the time today. Get, put them up there real quickly. Y'all are bullies. <laughs> number one is what? Oh, no, no, that ain't loud enough. Come on. Number one is what? A it's a ready mind. And what a ready mind deals with, let me, give you, let me get my information real quickly. A ready mind is a mind that's ready and eager to, ch- to, or to change its way of thinking and act accordingly. Okay? So a ready mind will hear a word from the Lord and go, I'll begin right now. When the Lord called upon the people of Israel to give their gold and silver and, and their precious, I mean, their, their uh, cloth and precious metals to build the tabernacle, the Bible says the people came with a ready mind, right? Number two is what? Out loud is what? A, a humble mind is a mind that submits to the word of God with, uh, uh, without argument or hesitation. It submits to the word of God. Once I know what God is saying, I, I'm clear that's what the Lord wants, I'm going to do it. Why? Because I'm trusting the Lord to make good on his word. I understand that me responding to the word of God is a partnership. It's a what? I'm going to do, I'm going to do what God says to do and God is going to do what he wants to do. The outcome is going to be, watch this now, God is going to give me direct, God is obligated, I love this word, obligated to give me direction, obligated to give me favor, obligated, watch this now, to bring people into my life that's necessary and remove people from my life that's a drag. When I move with a humble mind before the Lord, I'm saying to the Lord, yes, Lord, I will. And when I do that, I'll do what you want me to do. God says, I'll take care of everything else. And I will literally be walking through life and watching, watching pieces moving. God is moving people out, moving people in. He's shutting this down. He's opening that up. He's closing doors. He's opened doors. Jesus said, I am he that openeth and no man can close. I close and no man can open. This is how he orders steps. The humble mind. Number three is a what? Sound. A sound mind is a mind that's disciplined, discerning, and determined. It's disciplined. When the Bible says God has not, has not given us a spirit of, of fear, but of power and of love and of a what? Sound. 
the, the word sound means well-disciplined, of sound mind. When you're making your last will and testament, you have to say, I, heart Ramsey, being of sound mind, I know what I'm doing. I'm clear on what's happening. I, I'm not insane, right? I, I'm clear in what I'm doing. The Bible talks about this sound mind. It's a disciplined, discerning, determined mind, and it says, I will continue, and the rest of that is to be obedient. Why do you need a sound mind? Because when God tells you to do something, sometimes you get to a certain part of the journey with the expectation that things should have started to change by now. And you realize that they haven't. A sound mind says, here's what a sound mind says. A sound mind says, God is going to come at any time to handle the situation. And if he doesn't, I will continue. I will. If he doesn't, I will continue. I'm not going to give up. Number four is what? A focused mind. A focused mind is a mind to work or a mind that's focused on the work. This is from the book of Nehemiah where, where it seems like God is nowhere present but he's giving you an assignment so you continue to work. You continue to push through. You continue to go through and do what he told you to do. All right? A focused mind. Number five is what? Say it again. Oh, you had, you had it behind me the whole time? I'm trying to... Okay. A mind that is focused on and obedient to the revelation of God's word. A lot of these, you say, this sounds like another one. No, there's, there's a difference in all of them. As I studied them, this is a four-week teaching that I normally will do, and I'll probably bring it to a touch point Tuesday to help you. The mindset. Can I say something to you? Different people can walk into the same room and see different things based on their mindset. I walked into a, a, a meeting one time. I was... I was called to preach. It was late at night. I was tired. I hadn't gotten my rest. And I got up and I preached. And I walked away from that moment, just stayed up the rest of the night thinking, you really messed it up. The next day, I got a call. They started giving me testimonies about what happened in the room because of the word. But because of my mindset, I missed all that God was doing. I did everything that the Lord told me to do. But my mindset put me in a position where I could not see the hand of God moving. A phone call the next day from a person who was watching with the right mindset said to me, hey, did you see what God was doing in the room? I said, no. He said, let me tell you. He filled me in on all the things that God was doing. And I'm asking myself, how am I in the spirit and didn't see that? You can be in the spirit and miss everything that's going on. Twice, at least in scripture, Daniel says he's, he's in the spirit. The people with him are in the spirit too. The, the Lord gives him a vision. No one sees it but him. When you go through scripture, you see that you could be, you could be with a person, but you miss out what's happening with them because of your mindset. So this is critical. Now, we got exactly no time. How is that possible? See what you, I blame y'all. No. So I want to give you this. <laughs> you love me too. I want to give you all this real quickly. I've, I've, we have been, as we prepare to give, we, we have been for weeks talking about the blessing of first fruit. There are seven specific blessings that come with the first fruit that I, I got to share with you. Even if I don't teach into it, I need you to know what to expect. Okay. So I'm going to give you scriptures to put on the screen. You'll put them up real quickly. We can just go through the scripture. The first one I've been saying over and over again is from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. I want to give it to you real fast. Give me a second. I'm going to tell you I want to start. If you're ready, let's go. 
Read out loud for me. What does it say? Honor the Lord with thy and with the first fruit of all thy increase, so shall thy The focus of the first promise is number one. Now, let me tell you how you handle promises. You pray into the promises of God. You take them, you put them in a notebook. You take them into the presence of God with you. You speak them out of your mouth. When you receive promises by faith, there are four things that come. Number one, there has to be a conviction in prayer. Conviction in prayer. Make a note of this if you haven't already. A conviction in prayer. That means I go before the Lord with his promise and I, I say, Lord, thank you that you made this promise that you have called my barns to overflow plenty. When I began first confessing this, I had two checking accounts. One was for my personal use and one was for my house. I, had, I could not afford a savings account. And because, watch this now, because I didn't understand the, the concept of the barn, I, I signed on with a bank and the bank said to me, you can't open a checking account without a savings account. I said to the lady, I said, the problem is I won't have enough to go in a savings account. She said, it's our policy. She said, every checking account comes with a savings account. I said, okay, up to you. <laughs> then the, some of you bank with the same bank, you're going to tell a minute. Then I started to notice when I would get my statements, there was always money in my savings account. So I went to the bank to complain. There's not enough money. I'm, I'm balancing my, my checkbook. Money is missing, but there's money showing up in my savings account. Here's what she said. For every X amount of dollars you spend, we take some of the money and put it in a savings account. Now I'm offended. <laughs> Who gave you permission to do that? Sir, you signed the contract. It's the policy. And I said, well, I need to speak to someone. And I was making a fuss. I need to speak to someone. And the Lord says, no. And here's the question the Lord asked me. How can I bless your barn when you are so resistant to barns? And my argument to the Lord was, why should I have a savings account that I'm probably paying for when I have no money to put in it? And the Lord responded to me, why should I give you anything to save when you have no savings account? It became clear to me that my understanding about how God does what he does was off. The people that were teaching me weren't teaching me right. God was saying to me, watch this now, he can't fill what I don't have. I was thinking, you give it to me and I find a barn. God said, no, you build the barn and I fill it. The problem with some of you, you ain't trying to build a barn. All you want is a basket. You will spend money. Oh, God, I'm about to. You will spend money. Your purse, your wallet is a basket. So shall that barns be filled with plenty. That person should burst up with new wine. The, um, go back to, go to verse, go to verse. I'm looking for something. This is not this verse. It's in Deuteronomy 28 and verse 8. I want to read something to you. The Lord said, the Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that says thy hand to do, he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The Lord said, I'm going to, watch this. The Lord says, when you give a first fruit, right, I'm going I'm to command a blessing on your life, but I will only command it on your storehouse. Can I ask you a question? Suppose you don't have one. So we're getting ready to, I committed it to the first fruit offering. And I started looking at my accounts. I've been paying salaries out of my personal accounts in a, in a venture that we're dealing with, I'm paying salaries. And I realized I gave, I paid all the money I was supposed to sell. Then all of a sudden, a pastor from, from Africa said, hey, I sent a first fruit to you. I went into my PayPal account. There's extra money there. Went to another account. 
There's extra money there. God had been, I had been taking care of God's business, and God has been, now, what I've, I had to go back. Is this a mistake? No. People have been depositing money into my PayPal account, and God was hiding it from me. So I'm saying, it's a miracle. God says, it's not a miracle. God says, it's not a miracle. I've been doing it. You just have been watching. This is real. This is as real as deliverance. This is real as salvation, but this is the part of it because we're so caught up in the world system. So number one is God says, the first blessing is I bless your barns. I bless your storehouse. Number two, um, the second scripture in Exodus chapter 34, verses 23, 24, and 26, um, there are three promises in this one passage of scripture. Everybody read out loud for me. Here we go. You shall observe the feast of weeks. Uh-huh. The f- at the year's end, three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders, and no one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord. Stop. How many of you see the three promises? So here's what God says. I'm inviting you three times a year to bring first fruit to me. Three times a year. He says, I want you to come. He said, well, I want you to come. He said, but here's what I want to promise you. He says, when you come, and he was only calling for the men. They were the leaders of the family. This is, everybody said this Old Testament. Because the daughter said, look at me like. No, no, no. The God is not misogynistic. Watch this. He says, here's, God, here's the promise. Verse 24. For I will, number one, cast out nations before you. That means, God says, there are people who are working on your stuff right now for you. He told his disciples, you will reap where you have not sown. You will harvest where you have not planted. See, now, we took this and perverted it. It starts the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. It is. But don't think that it's going, it's going to find you at home. No, you're going to move into situations where God has been blessing people and they turn from him. Now God has this harvest he needs to give, and there's nobody there for it because someone walked away from the harvest. Then God will slip you right into the situation. You, listen, you're happy and dumb just looking around. You're just glad to be here, loving the Lord, loving his people. And all of a sudden, all this drops on you, and you go, I didn't, I didn't plant, I didn't sow this. And God knows, I said, no, the other person sowed it, but they didn't wait for the harvest. He says, watch this. God said, I will cast out nations before you. The nations that were there, you don't, if you don't think they were important, they were keeping the land for the children of Israel. When the children of Israel got there, there was developed land. There were houses that were built. There were, listen, there were, there were fields already uh, uh, um, plowed, waiting on them. Number one, I will cast out nations before you. Number two, I will enlarge your borders. I will do what? I will, exp- I will expand your territory. What does that mean? If you're a business owner, it means that I'm about to put your name in the wind. If, if you're a business, watch this. If you're a business owner, it means God said, I'm gonna, when you trust me with your money and make me your senior financial advisor, God said, I'm going to run your marketing plan. When you sit down to plan anything, I'm going to make sure that whatever you plan, uh, listen, when you, whatever you plan, you're going to whisper in my ear. And I'm going to whisper in your ear and say, no, change that, do this. God said, I will give you strategy. I'll give you ideas. And when I, when I tell you what to do, the whole army of people could be moving that direction I'll send you this direction what by the time you all meet again you'll be rich and they'll be trying to figure out how you did it that's what the Lord says the Lord says he says I will enlarge your border everybody matter of fact, go back go back to uh, Proverbs 3 and 10 I want you to say this out loud go back give me Proverbs 3 and 10 you can start to play right there everybody shout and say the Lord, the Lord shall bless my barns with plenty and my presses shall burst forth with new wine. 
give me the next scripture. We're going to confess it right off the scripture, the, 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 uh, the scripture we just read. Give it back to me. Okay. Everybody say, the Lord, the Lord will, cast will cast out nations, ethnic groups, ethnic groups before, me. before me. Say, the Lord, the Lord will enlarge my borders. Enlarge my Here's the third one. Say, no one, no one will, covet will covet my land. My now, you go, what does that mean? This is crazy. Here's what the Lord, here's what it translates to. The Lord said, I will, the word covet means a strong desire. God says, I will take away your enemy's desire to hurt you. No, 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 no. This right here, no one shall covet your land. Listen, God says, when you go up to appear before me, you can leave your land uncovered. I'm go you go up, when you come back, it's going to be there. He, God says, while you're gone, bringing me the first fruit, I will take away your enemy's desire to hurt you. Watch this. I'm going to tell you this. This is real. This is real. I was, the first thing I heard is I said, how does that translate to today? Right? So I had a situation that happened years ago. Everybody said a long time ago. And in the situation, I didn't handle the situation quite right. And I was talking to the Lord about it. And I told the Lord, I said, I got to watch my back with this person. And God said, no, you don't. No, you don't. Here's what the Lord says. The Lord said, I've taken the desire to hurt you away from them. And every single time that they start to come after you, I create a greater crisis. Now, look, here's what he says. Now they're beginning to understand that you're off limits. They can't fool with you. So out loud say, the Lord, the Lord shall take away my neighbor's desire. Let's change, let's change that. Say, my enemy's desire, my enemy's desire to covet my land. Covet. Say, the Lord, the Lord will take away my enemy's desire, my enemy's desire to, hurt me. to hurt me. You better bless the Lord for that one. Here comes promise number five. Hurry, hurry. Ezekiel 44 and 30. Ezekiel 44 and 30. Real fast, real fast. And the first fruit of all, and the first of all the first fruits of all kinds, and every offering of all kinds, from all your offerings, shall belong to the priests. You shall give to the priests the first of your dough. Why? How many of you see the promise? How many of you see the promise? What's the promise? Everybody said, the Lord, the Lord will cause, will cause a, blessing a blessing to rest, to rest upon my house my and my household to include my children, my siblings, my cousins, my grandma, grandpa, anything connected to me, everyone related to me, whether they like me or not, the Lord will cause a blessing to rest on them because of the blessing on my house. Come on. Give him praise for that. I got two more. I got two more. I got two more. Y'all know these two. Romans chapter 11 verse 16. Quickly. Y'all know this. If the dough offered as first fruit is holy, so is the whole lump. Is that what it says? And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Say Allah, say God will blessed and be involved in the rest of my harvest. When I sow my seed, the Lord himself will govern my increase. He will not leave it to anyone else. The Lord God will command the blessing on the rest of my harvest in Jesus' name. Give him a praise right quick. 
Almost done. We're almost done. Give me the last ones. Second Kings chapter four, chapter four, verse forty-two. I ain't reading this whole thing. Second Kings chapter four, verse forty-two. Give me the last one. Here's what it says. Oh, I gotta read it. A man came from Belshazzar. I read this before. <laughs> Bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, bread of the first fruits. He literally baked the bread and brought the first fruits. Twenty loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And he, Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus said the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. Here's the promise. Outlaw said, it said, my first fruit offering, my first fruit offering will, create will create a supernatural supply, a supernatural in, the supply in the kingdom of God. So that my church family can take on supernatural projects and assignments in the earth now there's so much more to do but we ain't doing it today I think I've made my case how many of you are ready to sow first fruits I know y'all are worn out aren't you it's okay have a seat real quickly you have your card in front of you. Now, here's how it's going to work. For those of you who are giving online, if you're watching this after the fact, I, I, listen, the same grace that's upon us is upon you. You've heard this message I've tried to deliver. I've cut and chopped and done all I can to get it down to 50 minutes, and we failed. But I think the message got across. 